Hey, it's me breaking in before the theme song. Yes, I know. I'm I'm not the uh, cool, wonderful beats of ginseng. Uh, we'll get to the episode in a moment, but uh, this is just a content warning to anyone who doesn't want to hear about um, sexual violence and the President's Club and so forth. Uh, we talk about that in the first half. So skip to minute 38, 40 or so if you want to get straight to the bit where we talk about the housing market. Uh, second, unfortunately, audio gremlins uh, ate some of the uh, the first half. So We've lost our uh, discussion with uh, Neve McIntyre, journalist with Vice and The Guardian, uh, who wrote extensively about, uh, if you like, um, the sexualization of the service industry. Uh, so we're going to be releasing that audio separately uh, on probably in the coming week. So uh, look out for our interview with her, uh, which is basically our real take of the President's Club. Anyways, Enjoy. Yo, I got I got a question for uh, all the presidents, all the kings in the audience. I got I got a question, yo, fellas, fellas, yo, when you meet a girl and um, uh, she's like in a tight black dress and matching underwear and high heels, and then you hold her hand while an old comedian tells like you know jokes at the expense of the Polish on stage, and then you like chase her down a hallway, and then she chases you into a room, and then you chase her back down the hallway, and then a policeman chases you both down the hallway, and then you go in to kiss her, but actually it's like a pile of dynamite and a wig, and then you kiss the dynamite, and then it blows up, and your face is backwards and covered in soot. Fellas, y'all consider that a date? You really, you really have to say when we start recording. I, ca- I can't remember how. <laughs> many times i've said this (laughs) it's really it's a it's a fundamental part of everyone recording that we know how long have you been doing this show (laughs) i don't i don't know i don't know anything (laughs) it was it was only when i sort of realized you were definitely doing a bit that i was like we should probably be you just think he was reading from his dream diary again (laughs) (laughs) no i dream in uh elmer fudd daffy duck situations (laughs) because ladies and gentlemen we are going to be going off. The, the kings and queens are going off um, on the motherfucking President's Club today on Trash Future, the podcast about how, if we do not... Um, well, fuck, what's the intro again? <laughs> if we do not implement fully automated luxury gay space communism, the future is and will be trash. I vaguely remember there was a stationary company, like this really like small stationary company, like Slough, and they had options for like subscriptions, and one of them was called the President's Subscription. Yeah, I was going to say it does. It sounds kind of like an optional extra on a package holiday that your nan would take, doesn't it? Oh, I got the President's Club on the cruise. You get a free glass of Chardonnay in the bar, and then you get a front row seat for Bobby Davro. Uh, anyway, I think fucking are are we ready? Uh, Disney's Hall of Presidents uh, to fucking go off. Our podcast is about the delicate balance between woke, broke, and choke and stroke. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> oh, we're going to get Hussein kicked out of the studio. <laughs> oh, I'm going to have to go to that fucking corporate space in Holborn. Yo, so speaking of Hussein, um, I'd say starting from my right, uh, uh, well, starting from me, actually, uh, I am Riley. You may remember me from all previous episodes of this podcast. <laughs> Uh, you can find me on Twitter at Raleh, R-A-A-L-E-H, my bad Twitter handle, can't change it now. Hello, I'm Mick Wright. You can find me on Twitter as at Broken Bottle Boy, a name I decided when I was 14 years old and have stuck with ever since. 
Uh, I'm a, a trash feature pod super fan who's been allowed to come on the show. Are you and, the Zoom news? And I'm, the, <laughs> I'm not the Zoom news, although I did own a Zoom. Uh, it was a brown Zoom. It was very bad. We're going to have um, so many questions. And I'm 34 years old, so in this context, I'm basically a geriatric. Uh, Mick, sent a, Mick sent us enough uh, uh, autographed dick pics that he was the winner. <laughs> <laughs> he got, he, he sent, I won the prize. He sent us the first hundred dick pics. <laughs> well, I made it into a sort of a flick book. Um, hi, I'm Neve McIntyre. Um, I'm a journalist and Trash Future debutante this evening, which is <laughs> very exciting. Um, on Twitter, I'm at Neve McIntyre, and Neve is N I A M H because it's Irish and difficult to spell. Normal language. <laughs> Yeah, we're actually presenting Neve at this expensive trash shooter party to various eligible men. I'm coming out into <laughs> Trash Future Society for the first time. I'm wearing a white dress. Yeah. You're wearing, oh, wait, no. don't, don't tell the Gucci gang of what. <laughs> no, it's, 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 I don't think that the, tra- the Trash Future debutante ball, you wear a dress. I think you wear one of those like anime Hawaiian shirts that people wear, but like eight sizes too big, so it drags in the ground. Side by white Coke. Hi, I'm Suze. I'm also on Twitter at Suze Marsupial. Suze like S-U-Z-E and Marsupial like animals with pockets. And um, I, um, I, I am not a journalist or, or an expert at Thank all. I don't, I don't really know why I'm here, but I'm psyched. I also think the future is trash. So. Suze, that's exactly why you're here. <laughs> you know, this is actually your first... Do any of us know things? Is, no. is this your like first podcast? I have never been on a podcast before, no. It all goes downhill. So it's, bl- it's blood in, blood out. <laughs> <laughs> uh, my name's Nick Crompton, and my call is Dave Poffin. Um, no, unfortunately... London is your city. London is... <laughs> No, it's England is my city. Oh, London. Well, I'm not up on it. Again, I'm old. London, like Cumtown, is a province. <laughs> <laughs> um, look, my name is Hussein Kizvani. Um, I, I, I have a, I have a verified tick. Um, so do I. Five times now. this evening. I, I think, I think that's, I think that's it. I think that's pretty much the only interesting thing I have to say. I've been on exactly two dates. Um, <laughs> I've seen exactly one human breast. <laughs> you can follow me at H Kazwadi for more of these takes, and also um, fulfill and also fill out my poll uh, about whether you wear socks before you put on your trousers or afterwards. After always afterwards. Afterwards. Wait, before like a mad chicken. No, I put my socks on before. I put yeah, my for socks on. first. No, you're yeah, ma- but what, what is, no, what is no, the that's pants disturbing. situation? You're, you're just wearing your pants. I always wear pants. And you put no so- what, because nudity socks is last. Evil. Um, I put socks on last. Well, all the all the content is cancelled. This is now a socks cast. Are you, what? Yeah. This is madness to me. Um, before we before we jump into the hashtag content, we got we got our, our man in the bowl. Yeah, your man in the bowl, live from Los Angeles, California. Uh, it's uh, it's me, Milo Edwards. Uh, I you can follow me at Milo underscore Edwards on Twitter, and I'm I'm here to say that I I will not pee in protest until Logan Paul is given back his YouTube red contract. All bros deserve a second chance. He's getting cystitis to own the lips. No, is, is that what you're saying? No, I'm sorry. I'm sorry. This is fake news because Milo and I haven't peed since the beginning of this year. <laughs> so he can't all of a sudden say that like he's like he's doing it out of virtue. No, he's no, virtue signaling. Not what dry January means. This, this is, I'm, I'm trying to I'm trying to kill two birds with one stone here. What I'm saying is, if my bladder explodes, it's YouTube's fault. Mm. Uh, shall we talk about the in? 
just absolute like absolute ridiculous shit that's been going on. Um, sort of that's come to light in in London. It's aston. It's it's not astonishing to me that this happened because all of these people are terrible toads. Um, it's just. I'm almost amazed that no one involved in the entire President's Club debacle said, maybe this is a bad idea right now. But I don't know, like, the, the people who went there have been, like, told that they have, like, the divine right to everything since they were, like, five years old at, at prep school. So they probably really never have, like, encountered the idea that, like, something they want isn't a good idea. <laughs> They've been doing this for years. Like, at what, like, at what, like, at what, I don't, I can't imagine a point at which I go, oh, it's a men-only event. This sounds great. And explicitly don't bring your partner. I would say to my, to my girlfriend, by the way, I'm going to a party and they expressly told me on the invite that you are not welcome. You are definitely not welcome. And I think people think that they can get away with it in some ways maybe because, I don't know, it'll be seen as like a relic that, you know, it's such like a, text version of something that is subtext all the time that these are like men only spaces that it's so outrageous that maybe it'll be like charming or old world but it isn't right because the the kind of i guess subtext version of that like persists everywhere and in all spaces so you know people will notice when it is that explicit and they will say something that that's true hussein and i did come in here in matching black dresses and uh in sexy underwear (laughs) Well, of course, Trash Future is a don't bring your partner podcast because sex is wrong. Well, because none of us have partners, of course, because we because are cool internet people. And also sex is haram, so... Yeah. Um, We're the caliphate of Tower I mean, Hamlets. I, I mean, as, as podcasters, we are used to going to all-male events, um, though not really out of choice. Uh, <laughs> But you know, uh, you know who does think that the President's Club is just a, a charming bit of, guess? Of, uh, of fun? That's just It's a relic of an older generation, and we shouldn't worry about it. Is Paul it a Joseph man Watson. bringing shame onto all of Ireland? <laughs> is it Paul Joseph Watson? Uh, I mean, <laughs> I, he's got a view on this. I've, uh, it's out there. I mean, he must be really conflicted, right? Because, you know, all male, highly misogynistic spaces, he's presumably for, but then, you know, it's like an elite event, and he's super mm. anti that. So where does he come mm. down on this issue? Well, no, he considers is it an all lizard space? <laughs> Ladies and gentlemen, we are talking about Brendan O'Neill, the world's worst person. Nice. <laughs> like, 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 I, I find it astonishing that Spiked used to be called living Marxism because now it seems to me that it's just an alt-right rag. Like, the only horseshoe theory is Spiked. <laughs> <laughs> the real horseshoe theory. Um... So I've, uh, I've, I've, um, I've read his, um, his article about it entitled, That President's Club Dinner, colon, Calm Down, Everyone. <laughs> Practically every Brendan piece is, colon, Calm Down, or Calm Down Women. Calm like, Down and Carry On Harassing Women. Yeah. <laughs> Keep calm and be a I prick. love that Brendan O'Neill's strategy is to tell women to calm down. A strategy that has worked in history a total of zero times. As you want to, you want to hear some Brendan O'Neill's. I mean, none of us want to hear Brendan O'Neill's takes, but we're here at this podcast, and that's kind of the format. Now, what is so weird about people like O'Neill, though, is you know they view themselves as these like Athenian debaters in this old model, yet they're consistently so mad that there's a discourse at all. Like all they're ever really saying is, "No, shut up, stop talking, enough of this discussion." And you know, I, which way do you want it? Do you think Brendan wears his fedora when he writes? 
I mean, that's his, like, I'll tell you. I think he was a Merkin. That's his posting. I don't think. Posting, I don't uh, think he uh, can write without it. That's what's yeah. really, draws his power from the fedora. It's if been, we it's could find, him it's the Horcrux. If we can find the Brendan O'Neill Horcruxes, we can destroy Brendan O'Neill. I mean, that's what it is, right? We have we we're, we have to be on a mission to remove the fedora off his head and therefore get him to start thinking properly again. Well, oh, if I we can, can like convince a bunch of Twitter liberals that it's some Harry Potter shit, then they'll absolutely oh, go for God. it. Like. You remove his, uh, you remove his fedora, and then you discover on the back of his head is just Paul Joseph Watson's <laughs> face. <laughs> Imagine my shock, <laughs> Milo. Milo, honestly, <laughs> shall we? Um, shall we get into this article? I'm sorry. Yes. We get into the meat and potatoes, yes. or the, the the meat and potatoes. Sorry, Brendan, to offend your history. A potato is actually single. It's Latin. One potato. Stop proving Pierre's point, Milo. <laughs> that President's Club dinner. Uh, calm down, everyone. Moral outrage is an insatiable beast. Apparently, it needs daily feeding. And heaven forbid that outrage entrepreneurs, which is a really cool tech way to describe like people being harassed, um, those who derive their purpose in life from raging loudly against the wicked, should be denied their fix. The thing is, Brendan literally is an outrage entrepreneur. Like he's the one like writing articles in the Telegraph saying that like primary school teachers are banning white men from schools and like feeding your children halal turkey twizzlers and like whatever like he literally is an he, outrage on he's, he, he's an irony loop that he's not aware of because all of his stuff is outrage about outrage that he's detected and also he also spends his whole time going Everyone should have free speech. But if, for instance, I say, Brendan, you're full of shit, he goes, how dare you oppress my free speech? I feel like if Brendan O'Neill was one of those like AIs developed by Google, he would have been shut down by now for like going rogue and becoming incomprehensible. And so it is that Britain's chattering class, a 21st century world beater in moral outrage, now moves with haste from fuming against politicians who briefly placed their hands on a woman's knee... It's amazing that people still write these articles where they just snitch on themselves hugely. Like, are we going to say that? And then insert like some like definitely bad, often criminal behavior is a bad thing. It's like, yes, we are. Why do you continue to do this? Come on. The censorious liberals are against knife crime. Ooh. But it, this I mean, is it my new website, carrying a knife to own the lips. Um, y- young women, Brendan continues, are in attendance to serve drinks and look good at uh, this President's Club dinner. And let's face it, flatter the egos of these probably quite portly aging men, don't sign your tweets, who would never catch the eye of a beautiful woman if they weren't rich and at this dinner. Rich men like to hang out together and be in the company of attractive women? Never. Well, I was enjoying the like kind of sophistry sleight of hand that Brendan O'Neill is pulling here, where he's where he's like conflating like people saying this is bad with people being at all surprised. Like if I said like, oh, the Saudis beheading people with swords again, never. And it's like, no, I'm not surprised. They just shouldn't do it. Like it's not. <laughs> I, I think you should look at the language that the businessmen at the President's Club use about just businesses that they deal with. Right. Because they love to talk about they talk about hostile takeovers. They like everything in business language is aggressive, right? Like they talk about hostile takeovers all the time. And I know like it would sound weird to get obsessed with the language, but I think the language matters because they basically think in the capitalist system they can buy anything. So if they've got these women there and the company, this company that have done this, and they've done this loads with these events, I was talking to someone who's working on this story at the FT. This company is like, this company is a, 
is pimps, right? And and mm. like a sex worker making a transaction, I don't give a shit about. But pimps are violent, and they take the money from the person who does the service. I think there was really like dangerous. so many uh, articles that I read which described the waitresses being treated like prostitutes, mm. which is obviously then tacitly kind of like says that sex workers deserve to be assaulted and in our current system sex workers would just never dream of like reporting an assault or a rape Mm. to the police because they're so criminalized in in so many other ways well it's the it's the i find it so again astonishing that like the sort of media libs, not even Brendan O'Neill, but media libs will go through these like mental gymnastics to kind of only construe what they're doing in terms of condemning sex work. They're like, they, they can't just make the simple point, people were harassed and that's bad. No. They have to say, ah, oh, no, this category of person was made to be this worst category of and person. Exactly. Because we're liberals and we believe that society is a chessboard and a bishop was treated like a pawn. You broke the fucking rules, man. Yeah. So I used to work at um, an agency kind of like the one described in the AFT article. And to be honest, in, in many ways, I think it's um, really comparable to the situation with Deliveroo and Uber because the fundamental safety issue is that you are instantly disposable. Um, and so therefore, if you complain about anything, you know that you're risking your shift and also just generally your job. Um, and yeah, I think, actually I hadn't thought about it in, in those terms, but it's probably probably something about the kind of, um, the, yeah, the construction because of gig economy in... Mm. In popular, because one, like, because one of the shit, one of the shitty takes that came out of this was like, well, these women are, you know, they're going to like a really high class event at a really nice hotel. Mm. Um, yeah, yeah, yeah. They, you know, they'll get to schmooze with like really high up people. They'll have loads of fun because they can drink on the job because that's what the, the contract says you're allowed to have a drink or two, um, and they're going to get paid a lot of money to do it. So why should they make complaints mm. like this? That was like one of the genuine, really shitty takes that came out of like just Twitter garbage. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, no, that's the, yeah, you know, classic, it, like, what about... Yeah, it, it came back it? to like, this oh. thing about, like, if you work in the gig economy, right, and you want us to take your woe seriously, then you really have to be in the fucking gutter. Like, you really have to be, like, living in some shitty council estate and, like, Uber-driving from day to night. And Brendan O'Neill has his own take on the people involved. Oh, I'm so sorry. We keep distracting from... From, the, from the brilliant prose that you want I to mean, read to guys, the I mean, honestly, beauty of his words. I'm so disappointed that you guys are distracting me from my true passion which is Brendan O'Neill's slam poetry. Story time with Riley. Can I I just share with you a really weird thing that just happened in this room? So Emma is watching this film and there's like a sort of sex scene going on in it. We've only got it on with the subtitles and like the woman is like kneeling in front of the man and then it pans up to the man who's doing like an ah yeah face and then it pans back down and he's still got his trousers on and she's just like rubbing his stomach concentrically. As though he might be like a good dog. Where did you get this footage of the President's Club? Yeah, I mean, I think that is that is one of the things. Now back to the smart things. I'm about to read a piece from a Brendan O'Neill article. It's not getting smart. 
or it's too smart for any of us. No, sorry, yeah. Well, because we don't watch Rick. He takes brain force. We don't brain force you. No, he he takes brain force, but you can like do a brain force speedball, which is where you snort a line of brain force plus while watching Rick and Morty. Yeah, that seems correct. Oh, yeah. I actually only inject Rick and Morty because it hits you better that way. Um, So, Brendan continues. Uh, This is the worst thing about the moral outrage over the President's Club, the way it has infantilized the women involved. Never mind the insults it has thrown at the possibly sad or old-fashioned men who take part. What it implicates about the women is far more foul with its depiction of them as hapless, slave-like creatures needing to be saved. Oh. Oh, God's sake. It's like Bre- Brendan O'Neill. Brendan Nobody's o- written that. Nobody's written that. He just invents stuff. Like I've had him. He, he's written stuff about stuff I've written, and he, he just reads what he wants to read. Nobody said that. What I think is true. I, I think happens is that every time Brendan O'Neill goes to a crosswalk, and like the green man isn't up, and it's the red man. He's like, oh, more of censorious liberals needing to be saved from so-called car accidents. Well, you know, um, you, know you, you joke about that, but actually, you know, at Charing Cross, they have um, the traffic lights, and instead of having the green man and the red man, they have a... Um, they, well, they put up the new lights in uh, solidarity with the LGBT people, so it shows, like... You know, um, you know they, what are they called? Yeah, the male-female symbols, yeah, yeah. all yeah, the usual. And there were actually like a bunch of like right-wing chuds who were really angry that like they had to cross the road while acknowledging like two the symbol of two men. See, no, I'm sorry, order- crossing the road is gay now. We own that now. <laughs> like, that, you're not getting that. You back. pick a side yeah. and you stay on that side. <laughs> the chicken that crossed the road is just a liberal. Look, all I'm all I'm saying is that like I got hospitalized because I support patriarchy. And and <laughs> the nuclear family, and I'm proud of it. Well, they've even put the word trans into transport now. That's when you know they've really got you. What was wrong with regular old port that we used to have? <laughs> so, but I think that's like really, it, it seems so strange that sort of, according to the, in, in the, in the, in the Bible of Brendan O'Neill, no one is, no one can sort of speak out against anything happening yeah. except Brendan O'Neill. Nothing can be bad. Or, yeah, exactly, because yeah. it's the product of free people choosing also, to associate freely. He also does something that lots of these, like, right-wing people who get, like, columns in The Spectator and stuff do, which is that they, yeah, they, they, they invent straw men, right? Yeah. They invent things that don't exist to kind of reinforce their arguments. So I've seen this, like, mm. you know, in light of all the stuff that's happened with, like, our friend of the show, Jordan Peterson, um, <laughs> You know, and all that stuff, you know, all, you know, about like, uh, uh, you know, liberals love feminism. So, you know, liberals like love feminism so much that I'm Why don't you to... marry it? <laughs> you know, um, Sorry, why don't you have a non traditional commitment ceremony with feminism, like, nerd? You know, that, that they say that men with like, you know, two PhDs and like a ton of references in like Google journals can't get jobs in universities. Like, no one's saying that. Like, you know, no one, no, no one has said that. Like, you know, and no, and what really angers me about that is that no one, like, no one of significance, really calls them up when they make statements like that. Mm-hmm. So for so long, like these guys have been able to like literally build careers out of basically bullshitting, imagined conversations. Um, <laughs> just like, yeah, you know, and if and all I'm saying is that I wish that someone would pay me to write about the conversations mm-hmm. I have with myself while <laughs> I um, don't pee. Yeah. <laughs> well, I mean, from this article, what I'm kind of getting about Brendan O'Neill is that I am sort of at this point 80% sure that he pees with his pants around his ankles and lifts his shirt above his nipples. 
and like turns around, just daring the liberals in the bathroom to like ask a him to stop. Proud child. <laughs> <laughs> hey, you laugh. You laugh at that, but it is very liberating, and I don't care what the security guards at London Bridge train station say. <laughs> Um, no, but um, about straw men, I think one of the most tedious things online straw is... Straw people, thank you. ...is constantly um, having to go along with, like, really, like, just stupid takes and, like, under-researched or, like, poor-quality things. Look, as, at, as though, at as Hussein though next time. As though, <laughs> as though they're part of the conversation. And that can be, like, Brendan O'Neill, or it can be, like, you know, Louise Mensch or Eric Garland, or it can be any one of the many, like, professional media transphobes in this country. And we always have to pick over the same ideas again and again and again, as though they have any merit on any level. And it becomes, like, this oppressive force after a while to just constantly be bombarded with that sludge and mm. I think that's bad Riley I think it sucks think so. is that wait mm, sorry <laughs> are do you think the sludge is a slave like thing that needs to be saved do you dare insult the sludge <laughs> Brendan sludge but, is a Russian psyop actually and you should take it very seriously Brendan no, no, Brenda, is all the sludge is bots and Louise can prove that mm. And she's got a massive You merely adopted the sludge. I was born in it. (laughs) No, like, Brendan O'Neill was built... Brendan O'Neill was built by Russia to teach us all how to live Marxism. (laughs) I mean, that could be a really good... Oh, wait, it's the Riley Quinn, Eric Garland cast. The making of Brendan O'Neill. No, just, like, a Netflix series about, like, how Russians, like, how sinister Russians built a columnist. Um, I mean, you, <laughs> say, but to, but you say that as a joke, but Russophobia is the yeah, next prestige content, and it's going to be predictable and depressing, and it's going fact, to happen. Fact. Pacific Rim 2, where it's just Brendan O'Neill shouting that the, the Pacific Rim monster things are being mollycoddled by the state. It, it, like, just coming back to what Sue said, though, like, the tri- you're right, we shouldn't have to take those arguments seriously but on the other hand they have these massive megaphones and oh, media completely. companies are, and then so we have to because it's like Piers Morgan the morning of us recording this has just claimed that he's got Trump to apologise for something but actually Trump has said if I did this I would apologise that's not an apology it's like me like I come in I shit on your desk and I go if I've offended you by shitting on your desk I'm, ap- I'm I would, sorry I would, about I that I never apologise for shitting <laughs> on your desk I'm no I, I, I completely agree don't get me wrong I'm not saying that you know I'm not saying no, like, I wasn't Ooh, like, don't feed the trolls either, but... don't engage what I'm saying is that um, it's shit that we it's, have to. It's, it's shit that it keeps coming up and it's also it's shit that like um, it's never seems to be enough to say, like, no, this opinion is, like, intellectually, politically, and morally beneath contempt. So I, I, I'm going to have to go into a conversation now that Brendan's made up, cool. and then I think we'll transition out of this article and into an actually good article. Can, cannot wait for Brendan's fanfic. Um, Read it. Brendan's uh, working-class women fanfic, here it comes. <laughs> um, he ships uh, working-class women in Brendan O'Neill. Um <laughs> I knew working-class women who temporarily traded on their looks to earn a living. He's met at least four of them. He's been in a Weatherspoons. He was in Weatherspoons once, and he met a woman. And they were the last people who needed looking after or rescue. They knew exactly what they were doing, and they developed the skills necessary to deal with dickheads. No, wait, he's got a shameless box set. They they were far more capable than many of today's media women who have recently made a national scandal of the fact that men touch their knees or ask them on dates. Now, personally, I know actually that... In fact, I don't know if you guys knew this about biology, but, like, the head of the penis has, like, 10,000 nerve endings in it, but a woman's knee actually has millions. (laughs) (laughs) That is correct. Um, 
That's why I t- take a knee, take a knee, my ass. Yes, please. <laughs> touch a knee, my ass. I won't touch a knee. <laughs> I really wish you could see the face that I'm pulling at Riley, but uh... <laughs> this is the face you pull whenever you like my posts. Um, and Brendan O'Neill knows these things because he's not wasted time on meeting women and he's used all that time on reading about them. <laughs> in, various, in various periodicals called things like Phrenology Today and The Good Housewife. Oh, but what, what, exactly. is, what is extremely good about right-wing journalists is that they see any kind of like, uh, however informally self-organized kind of movement to, you know, do something better in the workplace or to get rights or towards liberation. And because they, they cannot remove themselves from this like all-seeing savior role of society, they see people totally able to organize amongst themselves and to do things and to get their message out and whatever. And they say, oh, you want to be saved, I see. Oh, oh, so we're, we're treating you as, as a victim now and, and, and you know someone has to come in and save you and it, it you know always says a lot more about them and how they view their own position than it does about what anybody is saying about themselves and the situation that they're in that's probably the that's the best analysis that we've had on this show but bearing in mind that all the analysis of right-wing journalists we've had on the show are usually their chuds <laughs> or um they just or they the rp sitting down or, yeah <laughs> Uh, <laughs> the trousers completely down as Brendan O'Neill does. No, Brendan O'Neill's shoes look like a fat. You know what? <laughs> just, just, to, just to settle this, like, I, I, I want to talk about P for a second, and I want to talk about the best way to do it, which is, right? You go, go off, King. No, right. no, my lord, please. <laughs> you you, pee, Speak you on pee on it. someone's Yo. desk and you apologize, but only because it's no P January. Who, who's saying, turn your chair around and do straight talk? <laughs> <laughs> oh, yes. Okay, so now I, now I got what you mean. Um, right, so you sit down, right? You, Take your trousers all the way to your ankles. You take your shirt off. Uh, you rub yourself in lavender oil. Light a candle or two. And you go do it. Yeah, of course. And then, that is the best way of peeing. And then you turn east and you say... <laughs> <laughs> but as you leave, you bow to the toilet. Well, no, you got to respect the toilet. Oh, oh, but then, oh, oh, looks like, oh, who's shamed the outrage brigade here to treat the toilet like a servant, huh? I mean, I imagine that, like, if Breitbart or Spiked ever write about this show, the headline will be left-wing podcast host advocates uh, sit-down culture. Adv- <laughs> advocates a yeah. toilet arcade. Guys, can we please stop kink-shaming no, Hussein's no, toilet? No, it would be left-wing. It's into wing, what it's into. You have to get, it has to be racial, so they have to say, left-wing podcast host advocates bizarre Islamist toilet worship. <laughs> Where's the lie? That's all I'm going to um, say. So he's going to have a really difficult time trying to defend me on that. You okay. should sue for plagiarism when Breitbart publishes that headline. <laughs> We're a smart show. Um, that's funny. That's funny. What that's what Brendan O'Neill says every time he leaves Weatherspoon's in, uh, in, uh, in Holborn. <laughs> Brendan, o- Brendan O'Neill goes to Weatherspoon's just holding up a sign that says "I'm interesting." You know what? I imagine that Brendan O'Neill is the type of guy who like hangs out in the dark corner by Weatherspoon's with his fedora just tipped, right? And every time like a woman walks past and like she she's about to make a cigarette but she realizes she doesn't have a lighter, he just shows up with like you know in the darkness like with the match like. <laughs> No, no, Brendan, o- Bre- my love. Brendan O'Neill goes to light a woman's cigarette, but his hand gets caught on his wallet chain, and then he hits her in the face with his bus pass. And then he goes home and writes 3,000 words about and how back in the day women could light their own cigarettes. And, when, and, and if he meets yeah. a woman he doesn't know, he yeah. r- refers to her as milady. You know, like those schemes where like, you can have an eld- like a, an el- a lonely elderly person over for Sunday lunch. They should do that, but for just like editors at Spike. <laughs> where you just have like... <laughs> 
Brendan O'Neill around to your house I mean, and make him feel valued. I mean, on the on the show, we have said before that every right wing, um, every right wing columnist does have a wallet chain and a corn wallet. I mean, that's canon. We know that to be true. Yes. Like, like if Brendan O'Neill was to ever get married, his first dance would be to that disturbed song where it goes. I'm going to edit it in. <laughs> now he'd, be, think it, now he'd be doing that dance where you like you open and close your knees and switch your I think your it would be to drowning pools let the bodies hit the floor. No, you know what it would be? Cut my life into pieces. This is my last resort. Suffocation. No breathing. Don't give a fuck. Cut my life into pieces. The left is too serious. Oh, this is this is my last resort. I fucked it. Really, Whatever I edit it, I can make really myself look like, funny. Writing for Spiked is the last resort, so it's thematically very consistent. I remember I tried to. I applied for an internship at Spike. Did you really? What? I did. I did. I did. God, you just destroyed the credibility of this podcast because yeah. you're a spiked reject. Yeah, I didn't do it last week. <laughs> <laughs> Brendan, hire me. But all Brendan I'm saying, I take it all back. All I'm saying is that if Brendan is listening, my I'm still waiting for a response. And you know what the media is like these days. Anyone can jump anywhere. So. Um, and I am looking for somewhere to write anime reviews. So, <laughs> once again, once again, uh, I am told I can't get on the bus with my Oscar Langley Soryu body pillow. <laughs> what? Oh, so oh, much for a, the tolerant yet, a, yet another woman who's offended that I call my penis an entry plug. Look, all I'm look, all I'm saying is right that the fact that I was kicked out of Star Wars The Last Jedi because I decided to share a kiss with my body pillow and, and, and the cinema usher and the cinema usher said, sir, this is making people feel uncomfortable. If you want to go out with, if you want to like continue with it, please do it outside. And I had to say to him, it's not an it, it's a she. People in the street, they tweet at me and they say, sir, sir, your body pillow is a disgrace to the presidency, sir. <laughs> It's a big, beautiful pillow. <laughs> I love my curvy pillow. And this is why sex is illegal. Um, Brendan O'Neill's concluding thought. The problem isn't with the women out there, presumably on the other end of the Weatherspoons, where he's too afraid to... Well, he's not afraid to go. Is they afraid of him because he's naturally intimidating because he does brain force plus in Rick and Morty. Um, <laughs> The problem there's, isn't with the there's women. There's nothing more intimidating than the women in Weatherspoons on a weekday afternoon. The problem isn't with the women out there. It's with the women and men in the political and media classes and also irony podcasters um, who have become Does so... Does it say that? Does it say irony uh, podcasters? Editorial. How is he uh, not in the media class? Irony comcasters, please. Who have become so safe-spaced and prudish that they think conversations are harassment and a come-on is on a spectrum with rape. I'm just so tired. I'm so tired from you reading that sentence to me. <laughs> like, it's the same, like, shitty, bad-faith, self-snitching take that has been online kind of forever and especially in the last, like, four or five months. And it's... I'm just so tired. Like, yeah. Brendan yeah. O'Neill, Into the Sea... So, it's like you, you can say these things in public all the time, like, or you can say that you're so much smarter than your readers and everyone else. You cannot have it both ways. Like, it's I think the really interesting exhausting. thing is what this says to us about Brendan O'Neill, which is that I think he is just so 
his his brain is so powerful that like when he like anytime he sort of speaks to well anyone especially probably women um that he 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 sort of goes up and he is alpha and gorilla mindset and something like this and they're so prudish uh they're like um i don't want it or like every time like i go on a date and a woman brings a drink testing kit what a fucking prude and i think it's just because whenever i buy a woman a drink i slip some brain force plus into it (laughs) so she can be an interesting conversationalist camilla long who like owned herself multiple times during that whole thing so she started off by tweeting like Oh, this isn't actually a big deal. It's just like rich men being rich men, mm-hmm. and then well, yeah, it's that it's that you can see the, you see in, in the original this. article. It was that the the people serving were prepped that the men here are going to be annoying, as though I I'm, again I'm walking home from the tube and someone steals my iPhone or whatever. And I'm like, oh, how annoying! Right. Um, but also Long's whole thing was that, oh, this is about sex. So like any any attention this gets is because people are like prurient and they just want to read about sex all the time. And uh, then she was so surprised when turns out that loads and loads of people actually care about like labor and, yeah. you know, power and elitism. And so people were really interested in the story. Um, I don't think she really figured that out. And I think that's maybe, like maybe there's, there is this thing about like being comfortable with power. Right. So like the mm. people who are like who. N- Either like so in Brendan's case, like I don't imagine that he goes to these types of events. Like no imagine power. that like he really, really wants to be invited. Like he wants to be like you know, he fantasizes about being like the Christopher Hitchens, you know, goes to all the fancy literary parties where all this shit happens. Sure. And where he doesn't have to sniff Brain Force Plus because they actually have cocaine. Um <laughs> but like people like Camilla Long and like I guess other like Sunday Times columnists, so writers and stuff, like they're the ones who go to these like dinner parties, they go to like, you know, these hotel whatever you want to call them, where this shit happens. And it becomes so normalized that, like, for that, like, maybe there is this distance where, like, they genuinely don't understand why most people who just spend their Friday nights drinking white lightning and yelling at teenagers <laughs> would get angry with that. By which I mean millennials. So, uh, that, there's, two, there's two things that I, I would say. One is, before I say this, Brennan, don't sue the podcast, sue me. Like, I want you to sue Thank me, you. Brendan. Also, I, we don't have a lawyer. Brendan, I have a lawyer. I want you to sue me. Um, I, I think you eat your own shit. Um, my many issues with Brendan, I can't list because yeah. the podcast can't go f- 10, 15 hours. Oh, try us, bitch. But the, but the, the thing about Gaming Brendan... Gaming streams, however. But, but Hussein is right about Brendan. Brendan's issue is Brendan wants to be... Brendan is obsessed about elites that don't like him and also defends elites at the same time in a weird constant cell phone but the biggest problem with brendan is brendan is the bully who doesn't have the guts to punch you Love recording. Ah, yes. Very normal session where we are just finished recording the thing about Brendan O'Neill in the studio with everyone present because no one's audio fucked up really bad. I definitely didn't come from a literal other city. No, and Suze is still very much with us. Yes. 
Yes, not in bed in my pyjamas because Riley got hacked by Kremlin trolls and lost half of the episode. You know, whenever I do podcasts, like remotely, I'm, I'm always naked. Also the best way to piss, I've heard. Totally <laughs> naked. Well, hey, you can tell us now. Yeah, so I had my first, I had my first Wii um, for a month. The, the stream was very thick. And I guess the question that people ask was like, well, did you, did you get stronger in the process of doing so? And I would like to say, yeah, I did. You know, I can now bench 20 kilograms more than I could at the beginning of January. Um, I don't have urges anymore. But, you know, now when I'm on the tube, I can just focus on reading my books by Rouge Fee and Neil Strauss. And I don't I don't get distracted by the women folk with their tights and their skirts going to work. You no, know, it's like once once you don't pee for a whole month, you realize that uh, actually uh, all the women were fictional. <laughs> I, I just want, it's very much a side issue, but Hussein just did air like quotes. This is not a video podcast, Hussein. So those air quotes are not apparent to anyone. Well, they are now. Yeah. yeah. See, yeah. when you don't pee for a month, you know how to get a visual gesture onto an audio medium yeah. by hijacking someone else's also, brain. Also, you're assuming that I'm talking to just like normal people when in fact the only people I speak to are the guys on our red pill. And they know exactly what I'm talking about. When they say women, the air quotes are there. You don't need to like have it explained to you. Really, uh, really happy to, to be here representing as the only woman at this recording. And may I say that I'm having a brilliant time. <laughs> well, look, as far as, we, as far as we know, you could just be an AI and then some implanted memories. Yeah, bear in mind that like, you know, you're just represented by like a computer, which is really just like it epitomizes our show really, really well. Right? <laughs> I'm, I'm so glad we were able to replan uh, this show. Uh, because we were able to connect over my favorite social network, uh, Matt Hancock MP. Uh, so, uh, so welcome back to the se- second segment, as I was saying earlier, of Trash Future, the podcast for how the future is recorded in two separate days due to audio problems. Uh, thank you uh, to Suze for joining us again from the bowl. Um, thank you uh, to Mick for coming back from Norfolk. Um. And thank you for to Hussein uh, for continuing to be here, even though he actually is strong enough to lift a car, and I saw it. Yeah, I don't need to be here. <laughs> I made a bu- I made a bunch of people really mad this week because um, I released a factoid online, um, and the factoid was was that Winston Churchill was actually voluntary celibate, and the V stands for voluntary celibacy. And I had I had this guy, I had this guy like at me um, saying. Uh, you don't respect our country. You should read a history book. So I said, I did. I got. I have a master's degree in history, um, and I know for a fact that the V that Winston Churchill is famous for stands for voluntary celibacy. Um, so he was like sending me links to books and everything. Um, he was just like, oh, maybe you should like you know learn about this country or or get out. Um, so I sent him a book back. Uh, which was Jordan Peterson's 12 Rules for Life, um, to which he responded, uh, I already have a copy. <laughs> <laughs> the internet, baby. It's good. Oh, woo. oh boy. Okay, so uh, we did a segment last time on uh, housing. Are we ready to, uh, to fly into that at full speed this time, everybody? Yes. I massively resent you, and I think it's important for the listeners to know that Riley sent me to his old house 
and I stood outside in the rain as I tried to work out how to go until he admitted he sent me to his wrong house. Was it like the tattoo video? It's just important to know, listeners, that at some point I'll take my revenge on Riley. Could be now, could be 10 years from now, could be 20 years from now, could be on his deathbed, but the revenge will be had. In the meantime... <laughs> Let's talk housing. Before I die. Um, so, uh, Mick, before uh, you swore revenge on me, um, and before you swore uh, very publicly inscribing on the great other, um, Matthew Hancock MP, um, you wrote an article in the City Report about uh, sort of, you might say, uh, homelessness and housing policy uh, in England. Would you care to quickly summarize it for us? Yeah, specifically is about um, Norwich, where um, the City Report and the means the agency I run uh, are based and where I was born. And... Um, I guess uh, the interesting thing is when I was when I was growing up, um, so late eighties through to late nineties, the um, Norwich really didn't have a bad homeless problem. There was probably I, I was looking up the figures. It's had something like it had like I had two handfuls of homeless people at any one time. It just really didn't have an issue because the council did very well at rehousing people. It was quite a good Labour council. They just got people into houses. Um, in the recent years, Norwich is more and more. It's the same as pretty much most cities around the country. That it is the housing housing problem is becoming a profound crisis. Uh, there's like a tent city is started spr- springing up in outside one of the banks. There's like six or seven tents there now, and the police are just basically like, "Well, they've got tents. It seems fine. We'll just let them do that." But the issue is the biggest issue is that they have these city centre banning orders, and most cities in the country people will have heard about these is what they do is they just ban homeless people from the center and all the homeless people have been pushed out there because that is where the city center boundary ends so it is become it's very scary both for homeless people and residents of the city because it is like a war zone there now you've got people with profound mental health issues not being well supported you've got problem drinkers you've got people who are just fighting over telephone boxes to sleeping because it's that cold so i wrote this article where i went around and i I spoke to um a number of rough sleepers and the the biggest issue for me and it's one i'm looking into and many of them have come from oxford they're filming a big piece of prestige tv in oxford so the oxford council paid by the producers of this television program sent all their homeless people to Norwich. Um, and these poor people were told you will be given services when you get there guess what there aren't any and they are screwed I think the most offensive part of that whole story is that it's being done in order to facilitate the production of a piece of prestige TV. Uh, the, cra- the, the producers of the Crown Television program, we can't say if they eat shit. <laughs> I've heard that they're on the Brendan O'Neill diet, the patented <laughs> Brendan O'Neill diet. Uh, but the issue I, I, I think it's worth highlighting is that in Oxford, it's the property, den- the, the property ownership dynamics of the city are very strange. And so what's happened is that is that with the um, with the with the sort of properties increase in property speculation driven by student by student renters and sort of speculative landlords, there is the, all of the sort of former social accommodation has been taken down uh, and sort of repurposed. All of the sort of former low cost accommodation has been repurposed, and so the, the entire city has basically just been turned into an elite playground. I think it's easy to look at this. And, and it is genuinely, like, easy, you know, we see it as, like, a, a series of really outrageous crises, like, um, a bunch of people are going to be, you know, moved out of Oxford for this, like, ridiculous and superficial reason, or they did a really similar thing when I lived in Brighton, they decided they were going to clean up um, the, the city centre, and, you know, um, we are at this point now where that seems to, you know, 
involve actually like removing people and people don't bat an eye at policies that have, you know, the word clean in them that involve like getting rid of human beings from an area. Um, and they said that, you know, uh, Brighton City Centre now is is a red zone for serious crime. And the serious crimes were like murder and squatting. And these things were just bundled together as though that is in, in any way a normal thing um, to put the two together. But Obviously, all of those flashpoints are always like extremely like heinous and absurd, but it's all underpinned, right, by like a long term systemic problem. And I think it's really important that when we talk about homelessness in any context, that that is obviously like directly linked to um, beyond the council level at a higher government level, you know, there being like much less recourse to housing benefit or other benefits or to social housing, council housing than there ever was in the past. And it, you know, it feels like exhausting to keep hammering that point. But whenever one of these flashpoints comes up, like eventually, you know, down at the root of it, that is kind of the big rumbling cause that allows this to happen, right? Well, I mean, it's a state choice that they've been making since Right to Buy. Exactly. Ever since Thatcher started with Right to Buy, that's what we've been going towards. Like social and the culture of like desperately making people buy houses is is, is insidious as well. Because so many of these homeless people that I've spoken to, one of their issues is they they had a traumatic incident in their life. They suddenly couldn't pay a mortgage, and boom, that's it. And if you you know break that frame a little bit and start thinking about it in terms of everybody must be housed, that is a material need, and how is everybody housed in a way that is sustainable, like Mick says, where it can't just disappear, either because you're evicted or because you can no longer pay your mortgage, then, I don't know, I think that becomes like a little bit more of a sustainable discourse that doesn't end in, you know, you know this country is building houses and flats like hell, but no one can afford to live in them, right? And that comes from somewhere. The most interesting thing that I that I discovered in writing the, the piece I wrote this week is is that um, almost all of the evictions that happen are under a thing in the housing um, the housing act, which is like no fault. So basically, if you're um, a landlord, I can just like if I was Riley's landlord, I could literally just go, "Ah, uh, you got to leave," and then he go, "Why?" And I go, "Because I just want you to." And the law says I can. Yeah, housing's pretty shit, isn't it? Yeah, it's um, terrible. I, I'm kind you of. You know what I think? Demolish it, all of it. Yeah. Do away with it. The whole concept. <laughs> to me, it's not her fault as well. Well, it's not her fault, but also I think it sort of indicates exactly what Suze was saying, right? About the way that we frame this conversation. It's between you no, know, there's this kind of presumption that like you, you, you know, you can only own houses if you're in a privileged position, if you're in a privileged enough position to do so. And it's sort of like something that's been internalized, right? So at the moment, I am trying to buy somewhere. Um, it's going horribly, uh, but that's, that's for a different story. But part of the reason it's going horribly is under is, is largely because if you speak to mortgage lenders or if you speak to people who kind of work in this particular space, they'll kind of, you know, they'll look at anyone who isn't, you know, working in high ends of finance or consulting and aren't getting like pay slips for like three, four thousand pounds a month as not being quite equitable to your high risk property. Yeah, you're a high risk person, right? So not like even even for even for people who are in kind of good middle class, you know, in theory good middle class jobs. Lots of air quotes on that one that all of our red pilled <laughs> listeners can see, of course. Um but it kind of like it, it kind of brought back the thing about, you know, the idea of like talking about like a right to live, 
you know, even before we go on to like the whole notions of like ownership and what we actually mean by ownership, like just the general concept of like human beings having a right to live, like has sort of been erased from this conversation. Here's like, I I don't want to be Mr. Stats, but this is, this is really important. So the ONS, like they do a figure every year, they put out figures about the relationship between house prices and um, average annual salary, right? And last year you needed 7.6 times the average um, annual salary to buy a house, which is double the figure 20 years ago. So when people in our parents' generations and the generation above that make claims, oh, well, we work really hard, et cetera, et cetera. They did. That's not untrue. Yeah. But the, the, the dice are, like the game is stacked against us in a way it wasn't stacked against them. A, a manual worker in most of the country then yeah. could buy a house. Like if you save the money, you could yeah. buy a house. It's not possible now. Yeah. And also, you know, also... You hear, you hear this a lot about like, oh, previous generations like worked so much harder than millennials now. So like, you know, um, <laughs> I mean, they, they, they might've worked they harder. Worked fewer hours though. They, they worked They fewer. genuinely might've worked harder than I do. I, <laughs> I am pretty sure that's probably the well, case. Look, you know, us as trash future hosts, we don't have real jobs, right? <laughs> um, you know, we can spend a good hour of our day on the toilet with our trousers down to our ankles of course uh tweeting at uh, matt walsh about how you can't play Yu-Gi-Oh because it's anti-christian uh, <laughs> guys you can't summon the blue eyes white dragon jesus said only jesus may summon the blue eyes white dragon <laughs> i was wondering like how long it would take before he just said um all i'm saying is that next time i go to foxton's i'm just gonna lay down all the five exodia cards <laughs> Exodia, obliterate the deposit. I mean, what, Suze, what you can't see is, is just me resting my head on my microphone and slowly nodding it in sort of upset. But okay, to, to, bring, to bring together, I think, the... Um, brain, smooth brain genius smooth, mindset. Smooth of. brain Yu-Gi-Oh, people. I, I'm, I'm, I actually, okay, here's to Riley. I'm going I'm to bring it all together because I think, I think there, there is an underlying concept uniting both what's going on in Norwich and Oxford and what's going on in, in the papers um, and, and, and in home buying. First, I want to say, when I was a kid, I always pretended to be Seto Kaiba from Yu-Gi-Oh! <laughs> I thought he was really cool. Um, and I thought the only cooler character uh, was Hajime Saito from Ruroni Kenshin. <laughs> I always really liked the thin-eyed badass. I thought that was the coolest anime character. Right. I, I, I like like the Evangelion doesn't really deliver you one of those because yeah. you've got like wide-eyed so children. Like Brock from Pokemon is like the ultimate... <laughs> I may, when I know whenever I sleep with someone, I'm I'm the like yeah I'm a I'm a rock type. <laughs> <laughs> the the housing market I think it seems to be a way for our beautiful society to kind of just criminalize and if you like sort of push the fringes any kind of behavior it doesn't see as optimized. Yeah. And so Oxford asks hmm. itself, okay, we are the city of Oxford. What are we for? We are for educating the children of international plutocrats and filming prestige TV series. What's that not compatible with? People living here who don't, who, who don't have homes. Why would we spend our, re- our scarce resources on taking care of people who don't have homes when the city is for yeah. those first two things? I don't know. I feel quite strongly that when we talk about people speculating on food as a commodity, for example, and kind of shady hedge funds doing that, we have this kind of gut reaction that that's kind of disgusting, right? That you don't speculate on food prices because, you know, it causes famines and these like massive supply chain crises. And I think if we talk about this more in terms of housing and maybe try and 
generate like a little bit of a taboo around the idea that it is in any way justifiable to speculate on like residential property in the sheer volume that it's being speculated on in London at the moment. I think that's quite important to remember. London, the, London is based on what you might call a kind of ruling bargain uh, that the point we say what's Oxford for Oxford's for educating the children of plutocrats and being pretty. Well, what's London for when you think of it that way? London, London is a various fun, infernos. Yeah. Well, it's yeah, it's for that. But London is basically to sort of it, it, it just exists to sort of entertain and house management consultants who come in here to make lots of money and then leave. And so everyone just kind of gets at least sort of affluent based on this ruling bargain from being sort of extractive and exclusionary to basically everybody else. That's why one of the main policies, if you're in council housing in London, is you get turfed out to another city because the whole purpose and point of London is to generate wealth for banking. So my, my last thing on this is basically I, I, I keep coming back. Like I've been re I, I keep reading this essay that Lenin wrote in like 1913, like cat person. Who's <laughs> No, like who stands to get like he, no, it's a brilliant essay, and he it's just called Who Stands to Gain, and like and he all he says in it is well, a cat person. Lenin would make a written of great thing about that, but um, <laughs> no, but Who Stands to Gain is the best question to ask about all this stuff. And look, fundamentally, when we talk about homelessness, Who Stands to Gain, right? They actually want these people to die. That's the reality of it. They do want these people to die because the the. Uh, problem drinkers, the problem drug addicts, the the, the mentally—they are really awkward in a society where the elite want a clean city. And when Sue's talking earlier about Brighton, we need to clean Brighton up. What they actually mean, you know, it's true. They just want these people out because they want these clean dystopian cities where none of us who are even slightly awkward, like they will criminalize you for anything. It's, it's, it's their They just want to turn these cities into preschools yeah. where it's perfectly yeah. safe and there are no hard edges, but don't look at it as a mistake. The homelessness is not a bug of the system. It is a function of the system. Well, um, and, but the fort, what we do know also is that there is in fact a policy, a policy. If the conservative policy plan, uh, to solve homelessness appears to be a one-way bus ticket to Norwich. Like when Uber and Richard Branson take over the bus service, they might call it something else. Homeless, but no E. <laughs> yeah, what it is is homeless people on buses. No, they'll constantly... call, call it Romer. That's what they'll call R O A M R. Yeah, and it will be yeah. they'll be they won't be homeless because they'll be allowed on these buses that just constantly circle the cities and throw <laughs> them out to do tasks. Generate a, instead of like a stop indicator, it'll just say get off here and clean this building. And then you will be given your food pellets on Roma. I can, I can see it now, right? So, so like you have like all do. this kind of low wage work around the country, um, and people can select what type of low wage work they want mm. to do on the Roma buses. And all the politicians will say, "Well, this is fine because if someone doesn't want to work that day, they can sleep on the bus." And they're just cycling constantly to mine Bitcoin. Okay, now we're kind of going into like Black Mirror. That's li- yeah, that's just yeah, Black that's Mirror. A legit, that's a legit Black Mirror. Come on, that's, that's going to happen. Tra- that's a trash future foul right there. <laughs> um, I, yellow. No, you can stick a yellow card up your ass because you're still in my bad books. Stick it right up your ass. Stick it up your ass like a Yu-Gi-Oh card. So the, the labor, if the conservative um, solution to homelessness is basically just, I don't know, arbitrage. Yeah. Um, the, uh, the labor uh, solution to homelessness that was put forward by, by Jeremy Corbyn uh, known to some as the absolute boy. Uh, and the others as granddad and the others as choke me daddy. Uh, <laughs> the, the, the absolute, the absolute zaddy. Um, Jeremy Corbyn is, was saying, look, we are just going to buy houses. So there are houses we can just give to the homeless. 
We're going to solve the problem of rough sleeping by just making there be houses for people, which on the surface of it seems like basically the bare bones of a pretty good idea. Um, but uh, the uh, the times, ah, the time, the very the good times. These are the good times. Ah, yes. That um, particular manga. Um, as by a, a journalist called Tim Worstall, where the first syllable of his last name is doing a lot of heavy lifting, um, <laughs> has actually warned us that Corbin's pledge to buy homes won't end rough sleeping. Really? Tell me how. Uh, the latest relevant figures, this article says, show that there are about 8,000 rough sleepers over the course of a year and 4,700 or so at any one time. So we knew, we clearly do not need the 8,000 extra homes that Corbin suggested over the weekend. Too many homes, Jeremy. Uh, <laughs> because we only need enough homes to house exactly as many homeless people as we currently have. It's not like this problem's getting worse. Um, because, we, because we all know that, like, all the new jobs created in this wonderful gig economy are completely stable and they'll be fine. Uh, but he, he continues, and this is, this is what I kind of wanted to, to, this is the real, sometimes we do a reading and it takes us a while to get to the point of the article to understand where like the person writing it has just really shown their ass in a yeah. huge way. <clears throat> not this, very tricky. Not this one. This one, they get right to it. Um, ahem. I, and prepare, if everyone here, prepare for this. Um, it is also sadly true that whatever the number of extra homes provided, we are not going to beat this problem. Not even infinite homes, apparently. Of those checked during counts of homeless people, 77% were affected by one or more out of alcohol or drug addiction and mental health problems. Yeah. What's his fucking point? I think his point is that these people, because they're drunk, just too drunk for a home. I think yeah. you set like a good reality TV series. <laughs> so we get all the columnists. And we watch how long it takes before they descend into darkness. Which, and also, cannibalism. No, no, that wasn't always always sunny in Philadelphia episode. <laughs> Holy shit, that wasn't always sunny episode. Yeah, so he's basically what Tim Worstall is doing is he is proposing that essentially the plot of an It's Always Sunny in Philadelphia episode where Charlie goes and like lives on like a crab fishing <laughs> jetty is in fact a real description of hu of human motivation. But it's like... It's, no, it's so really, his, his it's really argument depressing. is that you know, if you have, say, a drinking problem, then your house just like evaporates, and it's not the interaction between, say, a health problem and you know a total lack of well-funded services to deal with that. Is, is this his point? Like, if if you are ill or if you have a drug habit, then your house goes away. There's no process there where there may be like failures along the way. Because it's good because, you see, I'm I'm not smart enough to figure out that that's actually a good point and, and not a bad point. So it's good that Tim was here to explain that to me in a national newspaper because I would just have skimmed past it and thought that, you know, that was bullshit. So I'm, I'm really pleased about that. He, he in fact, so he actually, he, he goes on to say, uh, the difficulty is not in finding accommodation for the homeless. Uh, it is in keeping them in it when they have it. Those damn homeless people wanting to go out and buy milk. The homeless are very much like hamsters. If you don't <laughs> contain them properly, they just wander around the place. It's, it's amazing, though, how mad conservatives get about the fact that, like, the solution to quite a lot of problems is literally give people money. The galaxy brain, as we call it. Exactly, um, exactly. If, if you want to, if you guys want to, like, if, if this, this is like a real, if you want, like, the M. Night Shyamalan twist, of this particular story. Um, I'm going to read the, the in bold little descriptor down at the bottom. Uh, I'm going to even prepare the air horn sound effect. 
Tim Worstall is a senior fellow of the Adam Smith Institute. Oh, oh. I mean, look, this is the same organization that kind of supports, um, that is still very ardently supportive of like workhouses and um, factories. Uh, so obviously, you know, I think the last big shitstorm they got into was one of like when one of their directors, like, Brendan O'Neill, just running through with his mouth <laughs> catching, catching shit flakes. <laughs> hey, that's my weekend hobby. Don't. Um... Oh, can I also say he's also contributed to, to CapEx? So, I mean, obviously, very serious and re- respected journalist. <laughs> Shall we uh, talk about this housing app that is an extremely clever solution to the problem and not at all entirely stupid? Oh, we absolutely are going to do that. Uh, this is. This is the, this is this, let's say we close out on the housing app discussion. Yep. Well, it's not so much an app um, as, uh, I don't know if you guys have been seeing this, but um, I guess I know you have because we've, we started this before Audio Goblins ate the show. (laughs) Spoiler, we've talked about this all before. (laughs) But um, there are uh, houses uh, sort of around the country. So the ones that immediately spring to mind are uh, a 3.2 million pound uh, flat in Kensington, a sort of 2.8 million pound mansion out in the countryside where um, they're being sold in a very unusual way. Um, Pretend like you don't know what I'm about to say. Oh my God, Riley, how are they being sold? Oh, what could it be? Hey, thanks guys. Um, No, so what the, uh, there's there's a sort of spate of of startup companies that are helping these people sell their houses, uh, not through just, you know, buying and selling, but through lotteries. Um, and so the, uh, the, one of the, uh, the, one of the, the first uh, companies of like this that I found is called your ladder generated a few, some press, um, uh, recently it was saying that what they're going to do is on the basis of a cricket spot, the ball competition, like they take a picture of a cricket match, something's happening in it. They erase the cricket ball from it. And then you have to guess where the cricket ball was. Also, the reason they have to do this is legally required, right? Yes. Yeah, because there has to be an element of skill. Uh-huh. Fuck so, so the, the so for a game of spot the ball, you have a ten pound ticket. There are sort of three hundred and eighty thousand people that can enter, and then you have a one in three hundred eighty thousand uh, chance for ten pounds of winning uh, the um, this the three point two million pound house. Now, can anyone who's very good at maths tell me why that's a total scam? Because you should really be paying in Bitcoin. <laughs> <laughs> well, aimed stable currency. If you if you want to work that out, what it basically means is that um, the person the person selling the house that's been valued at three point two million pounds is sort of getting sort of six hundred thousand pounds over the value of their house, and most people who are investing or quote unquote investing in that uh, scheme are uh, going to get nothing. In fact, the vast majority of them are going to get nothing. Three hundred seventy nine thousand of them are going to get nothing. Um, but the, this, this is because the stated mission of this company, Your Ladder, is to help people get on the housing market. But they're not really fixing the housing market, are they? It's, it's great when people do these things that are basically existing things like a lottery and then decide that uh, it's, it's both good and, and really convincing to market this as some sort of innovation, whether, you know, technical or in terms of ideas. You know, this is really groundbreaking, disruptive stuff, this lottery based on, a I don't know, Etonian parlor game from the mid-1950s. That's really shaking shit up. This is, uh, the, your ladder is also not the only company doing this. 
uh, winabode.com, which uh, I'm sure Suze will love this, describes itself as the UK's first online property competition platform. I love that. I do love that. I love a platform. Love a platform. The first one as well. The first online property competition platform. Um, so I, I suppose in the in the in the grim darkness of the far future, uh, every time you sort of complete a task on Roamer, uh, sort of circling the city, every time you scrub a window really well, you get you maybe get one uh, abode token, uh, which puts you in that night's draw to win abode. And finally, other people will be cleaning your your windows because we live in a stupid casino where not only does nothing matter, nothing is even worth anything. And the game <laughs> continues. Um, no, so just. I just want to, I'm just looking at the publications that have featured Winnabode, right? And this will tell you, like, these are the stormtroopers of, like, the asshole media conglomerations, right? The Telegraph, full, full, has committed to full luxury fascism now. Um, Cosmopolitan, fascism with a pink tint. The Evening Standard, George Osborne. Metro, evil on your commute. Business Insider, a moral vacuum. And Time Out, here are some places you can go to spend your money to try and ignore the misery of your life with other so, management consultants. Well, that's the thing. It's that it's it's like it's not that it's so much a scam that if you don't win, you won't get it. Like the I'm assuming it does what it says it does. It's just it's not a good value for anybody. No, um, because what they say on, on winabode.com. Well, it's a good value for two people, I guess. Well, three if you count the company uh, on, on, on winabode.com. What they say is our aim is to bring sellers and contestants together to beat the market. Ah, yes. Those those famed um, terms that we put to humans. Sellers and contestants. No, but isn't that sort of brilliant? Because they finally admitted that the whole of the property market and everything we talked about today is a, it's a giant game show. And unfortunately, some of you are like the guy who goes out on a hundred quid on who wants to be a millionaire and you just end up homeless and some of you are basically a fully idiotic person who through luck and having the right friends wins the million yeah it, like it just, that's yeah. like it is a game show brilliant thanks for your honesty winnabode if if nothing else what the, i think i think what this sort of discussion of sort of housing is kind of showing pretty conclusively is that Basically, is just that any 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 assumption that the distribution of goods in society is basically rational is completely fucking fallacious, uh, because the further we get into this era of sort of of sort of fake cheap credit and just a, and just sort of consistent low wages and just you know a spir- upward spiral of nonsense, it's just that nothing means anything anymore. I think that. The, the the interesting thing in that is there is I, I could sit here with a whiteboard for like a couple of hours and I don't think I could fully understand what they mean by beat the market in that little bit of marketing copy. Like, in what way is the market being beaten and by whom? Like, you know, uh, a house is is still uh, sold. Like, no one no one has a cheat code here, right? I guess. If you're smart enough and you get A, B, C, D, start like you'll get the you get the menu up and you can select any level you want yeah no it's the konami code yeah basically if you just while you're in the womb you punch in the konami code yeah uh, a b c d up down left right start yeah exactly and then i don't know what a konami code is because i have had sex so you know it's so uh guys that sounds like a pretty good place to leave off yeah yes want us to get out of your house don't you (laughs) i'm never leaving um so uh first just i want to say thank you uh to everyone who participated in this episode uh, including people who were lost uh milo we miss you uh we know you'll return He's one dead. day um neve thank you so much for coming on on She's the dead. show it's just i'm so sorry your part got cut out by the audio goblins but 
Uh, like I said earlier, we will be getting that interview again and we'll be releasing it next week for the more sort of, if you like, if you like the actual point of view on the President's Club. Um, and then to everybody sort of here, uh, Suze, thank you for being in the bowl. Thank you. Mick, thank you for uh, your patience. <laughs> I love you, but I will kill you. And Hussein. Just go away. Leave <laughs> Um, I, I'm, I'm leaving. I'm leaving Trash Future to go and become Zoella's social media editor. All I'd like to say is, "Fuck you, Riley Quinn." <laughs> and um, by advent calendars, you, uh, <laughs> I, I'm I'm off to become a. I'm off to become an advent calendar. <laughs> um, our, that's what it's going to be, isn't it? It's going to like the next advent calendar is going to be like we're giving away a, a slave. property contestant. We're, we're giving we're giving away a slave. Um, <laughs> and uh, second the, prize. <laughs> Is a batch of a, a batch of Zoella makeup uh, valued at two hundred and fifty pounds. But if you join the Zoella lottery, you can get that and an apartment in Brighton. <laughs> our uh, our theme song is "Here We Go" by Ginseng. You can find it on Spotify. Uh, follow us on Matt Hancock MP at Trash Future Pod. <laughs> <laughs> we're, we're not like really posting on anywhere else now. I, oh, I am. I've, I'm posting a great deal of Matt Hancock MP. I feel that like our only, our, our presence from this point onwards is going to be on Matt Hancock, um, Matt Hancock MP, and LinkedIn. Yeah, I'm the number one hood comedian on LinkedIn. All right, <laughs> I gotta go. See you later, everybody. Give it to Matt Hancock, everybody. Good night. Mm-hmm.